Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a five-time, nearly 23-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And hi, I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 25-year breast cancer survivor, a certified life coach, and the author of my book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. Becky and I are also the co-founders of Breast Friends. You know, we've been off for a month and uh, for a couple of different reasons and uh, lots and lots of stuff going on. Um, I finally got to start my trial for, for this new bout of cancer. But we are ready to start this new month with a lot of exciting guests, and we've got we've got a great one for you today. But I have to tell you something that I got on I saw on Facebook yesterday that was so funny, not funny, inc- incredibly sweet. My little grandson, who's eight years old, is into um, origami, and I mean really into origami. So for Christmas, he got a desk put in his room. He's got over five thousand sheets of paper. It's a big stack of it's from from his grandpa and me. And yesterday he did something that just made me cry. He created a little a little samurai helmet and he put it in an envelope and on the envelope he wrote, "Hi grandma, I made you a samurai helmet with the paper you gave me. It shows you're a warrior. Love, Kieran." Oh. oh I know. And then there's this pink samurai helmet. It's got oh. grandma and my daughter said it's on its way to you. So I just when I saw that I thought, "Oh my gosh, is that not the sweetest thing?" And I just it gave me goosebumps and it made me cry, honestly. Of course, oh. Sharon knows me. A lot of things make me cry, but that was <laughs> That was pretty special, but that's um, very special. <laughs> but before we get onto the show, I want to talk about you know this time of year is when a lot of people talk about New Year's resolutions, and it seems everyone makes a list of how their lives are going to be different this year. And I've had a lot of people ask me, what is my New Year's resolution? And, you know, in the past, it's always been kind of, I think, what a lot of people do. We think about weight loss. We think about finances. Those kind of things are always like right at the top. And, you know, maybe it's getting a new job or whatever. Well, the hard part is that when we make these plans, sometimes too aggressively, like this is the year I'm going to shed 100 pounds, you know, and it's a great goal, but it's it's too aggressive. And then it becomes difficult. And then that leaves us feeling like a failure. And we kind of just quit the whole thing. And this year, my goal is very simple. And it's really just one word. And that word is kindness. And I posted a thing, I a little sign I had here that I don't even know where it came from. It was, some, was not something I created, but I posted it. It was a photo of a sign that I saw. And it says, there are 86,400 seconds today. I will use one of them to do something kind. And, you know, when you think about how many, how long our day is, there, there's time to be kind. And, you know, there are a lot of different ways to do it. But when I want to encourage all of our listeners to think about one minor change in your life. You know, even a minor shift can make a big difference. And Sharon, you use the example of a tractor in a field, but I'm going to use an example of a car. You know, picture driving on the freeway. You can go straight ahead for miles, just keeping your hands, you know, on the steering wheel, keeping it straight. But if you want to get off of an exit, you barely turn the wheel 
and boom, you're off the exit. And when you get to that exit, you can find all kinds of new things to delight in. So think about that little minor change, you know, maybe give somebody a a smile, hold a door open for somebody, you know, think about that person coming towards you or someone who's around you and just do something kind and smiles go a long way. So And trust me, when you do that one thing for that one person, and, you know, my life has been filled with people doing kind things for me, and I I can remember most of them. So, you know, it will change their life, but it will change yours as well. So that's a great, great sentiment. I love, I love that. Yes, absolutely. And we all have time to be kind. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it takes longer to yell at somebody than it does to (laughs) smile and say, okay. (laughs) Very true. Very true. Well, thank you for sharing that. So let's get on to our uh, show. Our guest today is Kristen Carbone. Watching her mother suffer through a cancer diagnosis changed her life. Oh, my goodness. I bet it did. Kristen is the founder of Brilliantly, a brand of product that empowers women who've undergone breast reconstruction after mastectomy to embrace their new self by linking resiliency with comfort, vitality, and community. Welcome, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I was trying to not giggle and make any sound while you guys were <laughs> doing that intro, but it really, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm invisible, but you know, the, the kindness thing really rings true for me too. It takes so little effort to do something nice for someone. And I like knowing how many seconds there are in a day. That's a good fact. <laughs> yes. Isn't that great? So, yeah. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you, your family, your hobbies, what makes you tick? Sure. So I am a single mom of two. I have a 10-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter. And outside of building this business, my very favorite thing to do is play board games. They're at such a fun age to just hang out with. And they both just started to enjoy drinking tea, which I think is so charming. So we'll sit around after school. And, um, you know, my favorite one? We have been playing um, this card game that's called Sleeping Queens that mm. they both love. And it's, it's a game that I don't have to have a lot of mental energy. We do. We also <laughs> play a lot of Clue and a lot of Scrabble. And I find that, you know, in the middle of the afternoon is not always the moment where um, I can summon up the energy for, and, and I try to really actually play. Like I'm not trying to let either one of them win. And so right. I'm trying to strategize. <laughs> And it, I, you know, some some afternoons during the week are not the time for teaching children strategy. So we've been playing maybe <laughs> easier games uh, as we start the year. We're in the middle of a move, so things are a little bit chaotic. So I've been giving myself a break with the um, with the more intense games like Othello, which I really really enjoy playing with them. That's cool. So Kristen, where are you from? You said you're moving. Are you moving from where you? Well, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, okay. and I am currently living in Providence, Rhode Island, and I am moving, um, and between Buffalo and Providence, I moved 14 times in 10 years, and I, oh my. yeah, I um, have been in Providence for almost, almost eight, and about seven of them I'd been in the same house, and I, so I'm now just moving out of that house into a new place. Um, which is a funny moment, you know, that, that house was the first place that felt like home since my childhood home. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit hard to leave, but it also is a new chapter. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of working through 
the emotional component of making a big change like that. Well, and yeah. you collect so much stuff when you stay in one place, right? <laughs> do. It's kind of amazing. And actually, the circumstances around this move are that, that that house I was living in was under construction, and we somehow unearthed this really major mold problem. Uh-oh. And oh, dear. So we had to throw out basically everything. Um, oh, and no. it really is amazing how much stuff we had. You know, like when it's all put away it feels like, okay, you know, we have a normal amount of things, but when you take it all out and you go through it, it's really remarkable. And it is considering you move 14 times in 10 years, you'd think you would have gotten rid of most of that along the way. You would think. (laughs) Yeah. My husband and I are doing the same thing and we've been in this house for 26 years and, but we have 38 years of accumulated stuff and, oh, we're, yeah, we're downsizing. You know, we got a big house with just the two of us now. So, and Sharon made that move earlier this year or last year. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a undertaking, but you know, it feels really good when you do it, but it's a lot of work. So it really yeah. does feel good. I think you know the thing that I realized as I was throwing things away was that you know I've been bringing these things around with me for most of my life, or at least my entire adult life, and that the reason it was hard to get rid of some things was because of the emotional connection I had to it or who gave it to me or that it was my mom's or that it was my grandmother's. It's not really ever about the thing. And I had this realization, like as I was hucking stuff into the dumpster that, you know, I, the amazing thing is that I get to carry around the memory of those people and, and those events and those parties and the people who gave me those things or that I bought to use for a certain event that lives in me. That's not about so that set of napkins, for example, you know, right, there's, right, right. you know, you yeah. have all these memories that you tie to these objects, but it's, the objects aren't really what matters. Yeah. And so there was like a freedom in getting a chance to go through everything and remember those things that happened and those people that I'd spent time with and, and then say like, okay, bye. <laughs> We're yeah. done now. Yeah. 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 Right. You know, there's a really cool show on Netflix, and I know we need to get on with the program here, but there was a, a somebody told me about this really cool show on Netflix. I watched three episodes of it last night. It's called Tidying Up, and it features this really adorable Japanese woman, and she speaks in Japanese, but she brings a translator with her, and she talks about the harmony and the peace and thanking your home. You know, every home she goes into to help them straighten up, she she kneels down on the floor and gets lets the house get to know her, and I think that's beautiful and 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 thanks the house for protecting the family and all of that it's really kind of cool but she's got a strategy and and she talks about those sentimental items and the things that you know if they don't spark joy when you put it in your hand it's time to move on right and you always have the memories but like you said with the napkins do the napkins spark joy when you pick them up or does it give you a memory that you can have with or without the napkins you know right right so yeah so I it was interesting and it was kind of timely for me to watch that because we're going through that right now yeah maybe (laughs) I should watch it tonight too yeah (laughs) Yeah, pretty good it's pretty good so anyway carry on yeah, exactly. So, so Kristen, so you lost your mom to cancer. What kind of cancer? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So she had metastatic breast cancer. She was diagnosed for the first time at 42 and she had one a breast cancer. She didn't even have chemo. She had a lumpectomy and some radiation and the doctors that were treating her said, you know, if you could get a gold star for getting breast cancer, she got a gold star and they gave her a great prognosis. And, you know, I was in college at the time and I sort of 
I, the town that I come from in Buffalo or right outside Buffalo has a pretty high breast cancer rate compared to the national average. There's, you know, if you look at a map of hotspots, there's a little target over our town. So I wasn't um, unfamiliar with breast cancer. I knew other young women whose mothers had had it, some whose mothers had died from it. And I thought, you know, it, it caused me pause, but because her prognosis was so good, we just sort of all moved on. And then two years later, um, I remember she was had moved with my dad who got transferred to Baltimore. And I had graduated from college and taken a job at an art museum in Buffalo, New York. And they were back for Christmas. And she came to my apartment and knocked on the door and I let her in. And she said, I've been having double vision all day. Um, isn't that weird? And I said, oh, well, did you, you know, did you drink? Are you dizzy? Like, is there, you know, and she just sort of brushed it off. And her brother was an eye doctor and he took a look and it, we eventually found out that she had a brain tumor and the double Mm. vision was because the brain tumor was pressing down on her optic nerve. And so she, they had just moved to Baltimore and her neighbor knew someone at Johns Hopkins and we, you know, she got this really amazing surgeon. And so she went in to have brain surgery and it took a lot longer than they thought. And, um, my dad and I were in the waiting room and when he came out, he said some, you know, he said she did really well. Everything went great. Um, we got as much of it out as we could and then there was like this butt and he had thought it was a certain kind of growth. And then, you know, he said it was a little abnormal. It, it didn't seem exactly like what we thought it was going to be. And my dad and I, I know we both had the same like kind of heart sinking mm-hmm. yeah. feeling and it turned out to be metastatic breast cancer. Mm. And so then, you know, over the next few years scans and it, it was in her brain, her bones, her liver, her lungs. Mm. Um, and, and it wasn't ever in her lymph nodes. So it was moving through in a way that they couldn't, really figure out. Um, and this was back in 2003, 2004, she passed away in 2005, um, at 49. And, um, you know, they just didn't know how to treat her and and she tried everything that she could and some holistic stuff, you know, really any option that, that she could try, but it left this impression on me. And at the time there was no, um, there was no insurance there was no legislation that protected you against insurance discrimination. And so she didn't have genetic testing and I didn't have it then either. I waited until after my son was born in 2008. So, you know, I didn't really know what my risk situation was and I promised her I would be diligent and get screening, but I was really haunted by, you know, watching her. I bet. In the process. It was, it's so gruesome and, um, I thought, you know, I never want my kids to see this. And to be totally honest, I didn't do much about caring for myself other than, you know, trying to exercise and I guess be good. Um, (laughs) But I didn't have any screening or anything until after my son was born. And I thought, okay, I really need to take some kind of action to make sure that this isn't the same life path for me. And I don't, I don't want my kids to see this. And so I started seeing a physician at NYU and like I mentioned, I had moved a bunch of times. And so I picked NYU. It was like, you can always get to New York. It didn't matter really where I lived. It felt like a good place to have some continuity and care. And I picked the physician. She was recommended to me by a friend whose family has a strong family risk of breast cancer. But I also had read a paper that this woman co-authored about early onset breast cancer. And it was 
a discussion about the common traits they found in young women who got breast cancer that were seemingly unrelated, which were, um, you know, birth weight over 10,000 pounds, or I'm sorry, over um, wow. 10,000 grams. <laughs> it was t- over 10 pounds, or I yeah. maybe that's 4,000. I'm, I'm not doing the math well. I'm sorry about that. But okay. um, there were all of these seemingly big unrelated babies. things. Yes, <laughs> babies. And I was a big baby. Um, and I had a lot of them. And so when I went to see her for the first time, I said, you know, Julia, I read your paper and I think this is me. And so I did have genetic testing and I don't have a BRCA mutation, but they were treating me as if I had this increased um, hereditary risk because of my family history, my mom, mm-hmm. my mom's aunt, um, and everyone in my family who got it, got it in their thirties or forties and died. And mm-hmm. I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So wow. I decided to have the preventative mastectomy after I had had both my kids and nursed them and had been doing all of this screening and event, you know, if they're looking for something, they're of course going to find something. And they found a benign fibroadenoma in my left breast that was in the exact same spot as my mom's primary cancer. And that doesn't mean anything medically, but I, it really freaked me out. And I, I thought, bet. Doing? I'm, I'm done. Like, just take them. I want to, I want to move on with my life. So. Yeah. And how I, old were you when this all happened? Um, I had the fibroadenoma was, and the funny thing is, like, when I started seeing these physicians at NYU, they were like, well, you know, we encourage women, and especially because you've already had your kids, to think about this before you turn 30. And that fibroadenoma showed up three months after I turned 30. But it took me about a year to deal with my insurance to cover the preventative mastectomy. Mm. So I was 31. So I missed something in there. And then I'm going to have you answer this question. Then we'll go out to break. Okay. I missed something in there. So did, when you had your, when you made the decision to have the mastectomy, was that, did you have the genetic testing first or not? I did. I had had the did. genetic okay. testing first. Yes. Okay. And just to, and, and I'm sure you know this, but some of our listeners may not. Several years ago, the only tests that they, that they knew to test for were the BRCA1 and 2. And I tested negative for both of those. But this last year, I went in for the new panel. They found, I don't know, 26 more gene mutations. And I actually tested positive for two of them. And yes. so there there are some new things that they've discovered. So might be, if you haven't already, it might be worth I it. haven't. And I've talked to my doctor about it. And I have just been putting it off. But I need mm-hmm. to do it as well. Because, yeah. you know, there's other things you can do to screen and and yeah. And it's not just your kids. If you've got any siblings, you know, you got it from one of your parents. And so if you have siblings, it's possible that they could have it too. So so it's definitely, but it's a big decision and there's a lot of emotional things that go behind that decision. And, you know, finally being able to make it is takes some effort. So anyway, we are going to go out to break. So stay tuned. We'll be back with you in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling. 
again, with the compassion of a cross and shield, and the power of a car that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance, like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with our guest, Kristen Carbone, and right before the break, we were talking about you doing a preventative mastectomy, Um, and I'm assuming you had a bilateral, is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, and I mean, I I know losing your mom at such a young age, obviously, that influenced your decision, and, um, but wow, for a 31-year-old woman, that's, that's a big, that's a big decision, and how did that affect your self-esteem when you were going through that, your self-image? Yeah, that's a really good question, and back in 2013, when I had the surgery, it was pre-Angelina Jolie, so there were not a lot of people talking about this as an option. And it was really hard for me to find women who'd done it to talk to. My doctor put me in touch with another woman who was 45 who had done it. And she found out that she had a genetic mutation after her sister got diagnosed and treated for breast cancer. Um, But we were at really different life moments. And my husband, my children were um, like one and a half and three and a half. And my husband had moved out and I was figuring out being a single mom and figuring out the situation and how I was going to get through having surgery and having enough help. And, you know, it was a, it was a tricky time. And I, to be perfectly honest, I remember my, um, breast surgeon saying to me, um, what if you're never satisfied with how you look or have you given any thought to how you're going to feel long-term? And I was like, who cares? You know, I had this moment where I just thought like, I need to do this for myself. I hate feeling like a guinea pig. I'm having tests every at least six months and then I'm waiting for results and then I'm having doctor's appointments and I'm spending thousands and thousands of dollars because this isn't what's covered under my insurance because the FDA doesn't say that I need to be doing, you know, there was just all of this stuff. Oh, and it a lot felt, of turmoil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really... Um, it was affecting my life and I wanted to just get through it and move on. And so I didn't do, and this is to my own detriment that I didn't do a lot of thinking about what life was going to look like after. Mm -hmm. And I woke up from surgery, you know, I was basically completely flat. I had tissue expanders put put in at the time feeling so good that I was to that moment that I kind of, 
I was just so relieved that that feeling of relief overshadowed any other feelings about my body that I was worried about. It just, it was a really long time before I sort of settled into thinking like, oh, I have to live looking like this. Right. My clothes don't really fit. Or, you know, like there's lots of things that sort of revealed themselves over time. Right. And as I moved in from like fall sweaters into spring sundresses Mm -hmm. and then bathing suits and was like, oh, right. (laughs) A lot of, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to my world, right? Right. (laughs) You know what? I want to, I want to just speak to something that you just said a minute ago when you came, you know, when you woke up from your surgery because they'd put the expanders in that you were, you know, basically flat. And that is because you put the expanders in for those of us like, like me, I couldn't do that. When I had my double mastectomy, they wanted to wait for a a while, at least a year before we did reconstruction because I'd had radiation on one side and he wanted to see how it would heal. So I woke up without expanders and it looked like somebody played golf on my chest. I mean, it was, they were kind of like divots and no one warned me about that. So it's really a smart plan if you're going to have reconstruction to have those expanders put in if you can at that moment, because it is, it's less traumatic. And and I I don't want to scare anybody out there listening, but um, but it's true, and it's yeah. You're not it, just flat when they yeah. remove the breast tissue. Yeah. You're actually concave on both sides. Yeah. yeah, and then they leave enough extra skin to to kind of fill it out if you want. You know, if you're going to have reconstruction, so it's kind of like a hole with with um, you know, a little loose floppy skin in there. And and it was very shocking to me to see that. Did not expect it. And so there's a kind of a a, a learning in that. If because if your doc ask your doctor what you're going to wake up, what it's going to be like when you wake up. So if you can do the experience it's a good idea and you do have it's a it may you may even have a little tiny bit of a mound there you know so I just wanted to put that in there for those who are contemplating and they know what to expect right it's so important and it's really difficult to know about the questions to ask especially when your immediate health and wellness is at risk you're Mm -hmm. not necessarily focused on like oh what am I going to look like when I wake up or maybe it's a thought you have but but no one shares that with you and this is one of the reasons why what you guys are doing and what happens in these communities that are now forming as breast cancer and and preventative options are more publicly talked about is that women ask and share and network more mm-hmm. than yes, true. than in years past and i think it's Thanks such a valuable one. yeah it's a, such a valuable thing that we're all doing for each other to share our experience. So if you wake up and you feel awful about that, like some women can't get expanders, but knowing that you're not alone in this experience yeah. of waking up with a concave chest and this, you're not the only person who this has happened to is a little less isolating. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, you know, had I known, I wouldn't have been so shocked, but um, right. so Kristen, what kind of, so did you end up with the expanders and then did you do implants or did you end up with something else altogether? Um, I did implants. Okay. And I had I was not a person who defined myself by my breasts. I had pretty small breasts naturally. And I wanted to look the same. I had this idea in my head that like I was gonna look the same and no one was gonna really know. And but I'm tall. I'm I'm five nine. I'm I'm not a tiny person. And so they put in um, when I had my exchange surgery where they swap out the tissue expanders for the implants, they put in pretty small implants and because I'd had expanders and they typically overexpand your muscle a little bit. Right. Um, the implants just were drifting around. <laughs> so oh, no. it was just like it, it looked really monstrous. It was not it was not a good look. Um, I had 
I have a pretty bony chest too. So my ribs were sticking out and then there would be big divots and then you could see the outline of the <laughs> implant. It, and I had, I had said, I didn't want any fat transfer, which is where they take fat from wherever you, um, where your body naturally stores some extra, some extra love and <laughs> like all over. <laughs> right. And I had said to them, you know, I don't want to do that because not that it's not my fantasy to have all of the fat from my thighs sucked out and put into my chest, but <laughs> I, I will, my kids were little, they were two and four. I wanted to, I was curating a show that was opening in a few months. I just had a lot to do. And I thought, I don't want to have multiple surgical sites. I just want right. to be done. Right. And, and in my haste to get through it quickly, I ended up with, um, my friends jokingly called them Franken tits oh. because she's like very <laughs> odd looking. Um, yeah. And so I ended up having a second reconstruction in the fall of 2013 okay. and had slightly bigger implants put in and, you know, tacked into place with alloderm so they didn't move towards my armpits. And, uh, but it is, it's also, you know, that is, it's a hard thing to say, you know, thank you for saving my life or preventatively saving my life. And I appreciate that you're trying to put me back together, but I'm not satisfied. It's really hard to say that because we, and you, I'm sure for both of you who are cancer survivors, you get bombarded with this narrative around that you need to feel blessed and you should feel lucky. And of course you do. We're all so happy to be here and to be alive and to watch our children grow up or to, or to do whatever it is that we do and love. But we need to find a way to advocate for ourselves and to give each other permission to say like, I really, really feel bad about how I look and can we fix that? And it's not easy. And I really genuinely struggled because I wanted to say, it doesn't matter to me. I'm okay. I'm a whole person. I'm not defined by this body part, but it was difficult. And so um, it is, it is difficult because again, your self-esteem and your body image and all that stuff is, is important on, on how you present yourself, you know, and if you're self-conscious about, you know, your, your boobs being under your armpit or something, you know, I mean, obviously that's not a good thing. <laughs> Kristen, right. let me ask you a question. If you, mm-hmm. if you would have had a conversation with your first plastic surgeon, the one that put in the small ones and talk to him about appropriate size for the you know, for the cavity that he's creating with the expanders. And he would have said maybe to go a little bit bigger. Would you have listened? That's a good question. So my surgeon was actually a woman and she was very attuned to what I was saying and wanted to make me happy. And she actually did the second reconstruction. Um, and we have since become friends. She's this truly wonderful person. And I told this story to a woman this morning who's actually about to have her surgery in a couple of months that I said to her, I trust you to make this decision. I don't, I don't get to pick body parts every day. I don't know what's right for me. And this is your art. Like make me look okay. I don't have a size. Like I'm not saying to you, I want to be X size. I'm saying, make me look okay. And I found out that (laughs) during surgery, they actually would put in a set of implants and then prop me up. And the resident and the students who were in there were like voting on which size and shape. Wow. Um, So it was like a weird thing to know that happened, but also I appreciate that they took the time and care to consider like, okay, well, this shape maybe isn't working with how her body is shaped or so. um, And then to bring that story to a full close, two years ago, I had to have a revision because I had an injury and my 
um, implant was actually, it looked almost like a hernia. Like the implant was squishing out between a a tear in my muscle on my chest. So when I moved my muscles, it was like glomming out. And I went to a male plastic surgeon who was in Providence where I was living because I just wanted to kind of not have to travel and have it be a, a quick fix. And he said, well, we should replace them both at the same time. And, you know, and, and these are too small for you. These are teenager boobs and you are a woman. And I was like, what? And he immediately was trying to convince me that I needed really large breasts. And he brought me in this room where they took <laughs> photos and projected these 3D oh images. And it was this weird, and I didn't even, and I was so taken aback by by him telling me what I wanted, that I didn't really know what to do. And, you know, he left the room and I said to the nurse, um, those are too big. I, d- I don't, I don't want that. And so I said, you know, the biggest I want to go is X. And I woke up from surgery with bigger implants than I had approved. Oh, so, no. um, uh. I think your question is interesting because, you know, when you're talking to someone who does it all the time, they have a specific aesthetic or idea about what's going to look on good on your body based mm-hmm. on other people or what they know. But in the end, I would encourage all of your listeners that you, ha- you should, you know what you want to look like, you know, and, and try to be clear about that and mm-hmm. advocate for yourself because yeah, yeah definitely somebody That's might good. say to you, you might, you should look, you should look great in this size. And if you wake up and you're like, no, I really wanted bigger or I really wanted smaller. Don't let that person, don't let that surgeon tell you what you have to do. Mm-hmm. You have to live in that body. That's yeah, good sure. advice. Good advice. So, mm-hmm. so let, <clears throat> excuse me, before we go out to the second break, we've got um, about five minutes-ish. Um, but let's talk about your healing journey. You know, I, I imagine that, <clears throat> excuse me, so sorry. <clears throat> Love it when that happens. Um, <laughs> so I imagine that that you were kind of unprepared for all of this because it all you kind of made the decisions quickly. And so... What what advice do you have? I mean, you obviously got through it. So what advice do you have for other women, you know, in a similar situation where it just kind of comes up quickly and what 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 can they do to prepare? Yeah, I actually because my insurance was fighting with me so much because they only knew about the two genetic mutations at the time and I didn't have either. It actually took a year before they approved the surgery. But once they approved it, they gave me a date. So it was like it it did in a funny way. It was a long process and then it happened quickly. Um I talked to the one woman that my surgeon put me in touch with who was about 15 years older and she gave me some very practical tips like get some big button down shirts and um, you might want to sleep in a recliner and you know a few things that were just like day to day in the beginning of recovery to make my life easier and that was really helpful because this was before there were robes that had pockets for your drains and there's you know there's so much out there now that wasn't out there before Mm -hmm. but the most helpful thing I did to prepare was make a schedule of people who are going to come and almost be round the clock care for me and the kids for about three months. So people to drive us around, drop the kids off at school, help me grocery shop, all kinds of things. And thankfully, um, I have a really big family and uh, a lot of friends who are willing and able to help me through that time. So I did a lot of prep and logistical prep, I guess. Good. 
That's really good. You know, a lot of women are so afraid to put that out there that here's what you can do to help me. And even when their friends step up and say, let me know if there's anything I can do, we tend to say, oh, thanks, I will. And then we still don't. How did you overcome that? And I mean, it sounds like you kind of just grabbed that bull by the horn and and kind of made it happen or something. Right. I guess reflecting on it now, um, it's easy to say as if it were easy, but it's really not easy. You know, we, I think all women like to be the person who can take care of everything and take care of our family mm. and cook the meals and have a clean house and that our hair is blown out and, and everything is great. And it's hard to admit and say, oh, wait, I'm not going to be able to do these things for myself. Um, and I do need help. And I, it, it took a little mental gymnastics to feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage people. I had a wonderful hospice nurse who is um, a friend's aunt who said to me, and and I'll never forget this because it was so powerful. She said, when you ask people for help, you have to ask the right person for the right thing. If you ask your friend who likes to go out and party to be the person who like makes your chicken soup, it's going to put them in a position where they're uncomfortable. They're not going to do it well like ask the right person for the right thing. And that's a lot to ask someone to manage who's the person who's either ill or having surgery to also then say like, okay, this is what this person is good at. And this is what this person is good at. But it's so rewarding if you outsource appropriately, like, you know, let, let the person who loves to cook, make you meals and let the person who wants to clean, do your laundry and let the person who would normally like take you out for cocktails, just bring you to a coffee shop or go on a walk or do something that's not, um, house task oriented. Yeah. So smart. That's really, really good advice. Yeah, it really is. And one of the things we also talk to, um, the caregivers about, or the person who might know that, that woman that's going through this first thing, it's really natural for people to say, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, but don't say that unless you actually mean it, because (laughs) if that, if that patient, that friend finally does call you and asks you for something and you don't do it, or you find some excuse not to do it, they probably won't ask another person because Mm -hmm. it would be devastating to them. So first off, don't say that unless you mean it. But secondly, when the patient says, Oh, I will thank you. Don't leave it there. You know, a week from now, call her up on the phone and say, Hey, I'm running to the grocery store. What's on your list. There are so many proactive things we can do. Um, Or, you know, I made an extra batch of spaghetti. Can I bring it by your family's? Can I bring it by your house tonight at six o'clock? You know, what's a good time? So don't just leave it expecting them to call because they probably won't. Mm-hmm. And and it's a devastating thing. So um, we're going to go out to break here, and then we're going to just finish up this part when we come back, and we'll then we'll take us out to. We want to hear about brilliantly too when we get to the to the last segment. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt... 
free. It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking to our guest, Kristen Carbone, and uh, I really want to talk about that time after everything's done and you're really trying to embrace what you've just gone through, which is, of course, a whirlwind, and trying to adapt and start living again. Let's talk about that. Sure. I think, you know, there is a moment for everyone and where people stop saying, what can I do to help, right? So that, you know, if whether it's picking your kids up from school or picking up groceries for you or whatever it is where you have to just dive back into your life. And some women do that really easily and other women do parts of that really easily, but struggle with different ones. And for me, I think um, the thing that felt really good was being able to like pick my kids up again and have a little bit more energy. And that was awesome and was easy. And the thing that was more difficult was figuring out um, sort of how to dress my body and how to feel, you know, of course there's things that we all don't like about our body, that, but we've grown into that, right? Like we've either aged into it or we've gained or lost weight or things change and it's slowly over time. But having your body be really quickly changed is a, is a strange thing to wake up in a new shape. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time and it's taking me another long time now that I've had a revision to say like, oh, well, what is the shape of shirt that looks right on me now? Or what do I do with these clothes that don't fit, but that I actually love? Um, and kind of feeling good in my skin is mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. continuous thing that I would say, I'm still getting back to and was probably ongoing before that. And, and, you know, 
I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, but but dating and saying to someone like, okay, this is a this is a thing about me that you should know, yeah. and <laughs> and here's why. Dating after going through this, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and you know, I feel like um, I've been lucky in that the people that I've dated have been wonderful and seem to not care. And in service of writing an article about dating, I actually went on lots and lots and lots of first dates this past spring. And it was a funny experiment because I had decided that I was going to write about dating. Um, And so I kind of curated this group of men, and sorry if any of you are listening to this, that I was going <laughs> to... Don't give names. <laughs> right, no names, that I was going out with, and I would, and it was almost just a test to say, okay, I'm going to tell them that I've had this surgery, you know, and it's a whole obstacle anyway to say, I'm divorced, I have two kids, I don't want more kids, by the way, I've had a mastectomy and reconstruction, and I'm healthy and well, but this is the thing you should know about me and see what people's reaction was. Right. And I can now say with some authority, having gone on many first dates and I and only two second dates, that um, they no one, you know, sometimes they would say something rude or but not intentionally rude or be confused. I had one guy ask, um, if that meant I couldn't nurse anymore, if we had children together, and I was like, "Whoa, buddy, this is our first, <laughs> this is our first date. Are, are we talking about nursing your kids already?" But, uh, <laughs> but no, I can't. That's a little uh, frightening. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the dating was funny, and it is full of good stories that my friends like to hear. But from the perspective of telling, and I, I date men, so telling these different men what happened for the most part, they were more concerned with if I was healthy and felt okay than um, anything else. Oh, and that's so, good. Yeah. yeah, and I think that not all men are like that, and maybe I was just lucky in the in the people that I picked. But I think if someone, you know, had said something rude, my thought would be more like, "Well, that's your problem, and not not a problem right. with me." I remember when I went through that whole thing because I divorced after I had gone through all my surgeries and everything and and decided to start dating again. <laughs> it was, I mean, it wasn't quite this bad, but I it, I almost felt like, hi, I'm Sharon. I'm a breast cancer survivor. I mean, I, I really did get it out there pretty early in the conversation, mm-hmm. um, kind of like you did. And because uh, it, it feels like an elephant in the room to you, it, it did. Yeah, absolutely, right. did. And I, you know, wasn't like I was going to jump into bed with them immediately, but at the same time, I didn't want that to be a problem when and if I decided that was going to happen later on. You know, so I, yeah, it it was just a very awkward thing to have to do. But I felt like you know I'd weed them out early. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I think I, I follow the same strategy now and I was lucky, you know, it was awkward in the beginning. And the, the first man that I was with, um, we, we had gone out a few times. We'd been introduced by friends. He was leaving our date and kissed me and he kind of put his hands around my rib cage and I stopped him and I said, I need to tell you something. And he just said to me, I know I read your blog. I was like, Oh, "Oh." wow. (laughs) Cause I had started a blog because I have this wonderful big family and it was really too much for me to keep everybody informed, like via phone call. I couldn't call everyone individually and tell them what happened at the doctor's appointment or the date of this thing. And so I had started a blog. Um, 
And I don't know if one of our friends had sent it to him, but I just, it was like a relief that I didn't have to tell him. I was like, oh, good. Like, then, you know, and, and you were still cool with it. So having that be my first experience after surgery was probably really good for me because I went into the rest of the dating that I've done since that thinking like, oh, okay, well, this was okay. But have, if it had been a different way, I probably would maybe be more cautious. Right. (laughs) Definitely. Well, wow. we need to make sure we have time to talk about brilliantly. So, yeah. Becky, I think you had some questions about I, that. I did. So, you know, I, why don't you tell us first off what is brilliantly? I mean, I read your website, and I do want to say I loved the headline on your website. It says "Restoring Resiliency, Vitality, and Harmony to Women After Cancer," and I love that. And I kind of grabbed that and wrote it in my notes to make sure we ask you about that. But why don't you tie that in with brilliantly, and let's kind of spend the rest of the segment talking about all of that. Sure. Great. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, the balance of being a happy person is physical and emotional. And one of the funny side effects that I experienced that was a long-term side effect of having implant reconstruction was that I'm cold all the time. So, you know, you go through, I'm sure as you both did too, a, a sensation journey where there's some acute pain and there's nerve pain and there's you know, there's all kinds of different feelings that you go through before you settle into what your body um, feels like when you're, when you're new, your new normal, as I, as I said. Um, And I think the cold feeling was surprising to me. I was uncomfortably cold all the time. And I was where I would sit at my desk with a hot water bottle under my shirt. I would put glove warmers in my bra. My implants were just really cold to the touch. And I assumed that it was just me. And so I went years of like wearing multiple puffy vests, long underwear under everything. I live in the Northeast, so it's cold a lot of the time. I don't really go swimming in the ocean with my kids. There's lots of things that slowly changed. And about two years ago, a friend and I decided that we were going to make um, like a a, a heated bra insert. And, oh, cool. <laughs> and I thought, you know, like we quickly exceeded our engineering expertise. And so I talked to a friend who runs a product development company to say like, well, how do you make a product? Like what, what goes into this? And she said, well, you should, you know, find out if there's a market. And so I started talking to women and realized it wasn't just me. And there were lots of women who experienced this. And so it felt worth it to me to solve this problem for myself and those women. But in those conversations, I realized that there's so much out there that's around diagnosis and prevention and um, support groups for while you're in treatment. And then when you are at this moment where you have to kind of bounce back or bounce forward, I guess, into your life, who's there to meet you? And what are the things that you need to do that and to do that well, where you're not defining yourself by um, your cancer experience, but really saying that was a thing that happened to me and I'm going to move on with my life and, and be the best version of myself I can be. But there are things that I need to do that. So um, we're trying to help figure out what are those things and have those products and services be available on Brilliantly's website. So whether that's a podcast about how to feel resi- resilient or a corrective exercise program because you were unable to go to physical therapy for one reason or another, or you are suffering through coldness that, you know, these, these different things will fill in the gaps of where you're not feeling strong and hopefully give you some freedom from physical or emotional discomfort in a way that allows you to feel whole again. 
Oh, I love that. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book I did because that thriving beyond cancer is tricky because there's so many elements that go into it. And physical uh, are certainly some of those, emotional, social, spiritual. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it really, it's amazing how it, it hits all of those different places. So, yeah. Very so how how can people get? I mean, what's well? Let's get, give your URL first off for for brilliantly. What is that? Great. Yes. So you can um, join our mailing list at brilliantly.co, and that's our website. There's some blog stuff up there. We're going to be building out content. Um, our product, the warming insert, is going to get released in August or September, okay. and so we'll try to only ping people on their email as like there's really exciting updates. And if okay. you're someone who wants to follow along. Um, at a more regular cadence, like daily, you could follow the company's Instagram is also brilliantly.co. And I'm doing a kind of behind the scenes founder Instagram. That's Kristen underscore brilliantly. So those are the places that you can find us. And is your blog uh, public or is that something you kind of keep with your family? Um, You know, it was intended for my family. It's still up on WordPress and it's called my breast intentions. And because it was, (laughs) because it was, thanks, because it was meant for my family, you know, it has not been copy edited. It's not. um, But if if someone's interested about like how I came to my decision or the process, I think it's about 18 months from me deciding to do it to, um, I might've ended it on on a birthday of my mom's or something like that, where I was like, okay, this is a status update and thanks for following along. Okay. Well, you know, when we get off the air, I want to take a minute and ask you whatever happened to the guy that read your blog and didn't care. But <laughs> yes. we don't have time for that right now. So, All right. So it's another Kristen, show. <laughs> it is. So Kristen, you've been a wonderful guest today and we thank you so much for taking time out of your morning. I guess it's not your morning, is it? But it is our morning. So, yes, so we really, really appreciate it. You gave some great information, wonderful advice. I hope our listeners got as much out of it as, as I know Sharon and I did. So we do want to thank you so much for for being um, on our show today. And for our listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, visit www.breastfriends.org. There's a lot of good information on there. There's tips to help. Um, if you're the caregiver, there's tips to show that you care, for that you can, you know, so you can come up with some things other than just fixing a meal. Because a lot of people do think of that. But there are many other things you can do. So there's sections on that. There's questions to ask your doctor. There's a lot of really good um, information. We also have an app that's available through the App Store, um, through uh, Apple or through Google Play, and it's just the Breast Friends app. And if you find that, there's um, you can kind of pull some of that same information that's you know kind of just more educational off of the app and carry us with you in, in your purse or your pocket, which is also nice. Um, also, we are donor-supported. This radio show is um, a, a good chunk of our budget, and the way we pay for it is through donor support. And if you are a listener, you love our show as much as we hope you do, uh, please, when you're at the breastfriends.org website, there's a big blue button at the top. Please consider going on there. Hit that big blue button and make as large a donation as you can do. I figure if every listener paid a dollar for every episode they've listened to, we would cover this for the year. Um, We have about 15,000 on-demand episodes listened to per month, which is pretty cool, and they are global. So with that said, we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it.
are listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time. 